episode 65, Testing on Mobile with Kobiton. Take it away, Patrick. Time for our interview. We're here with Josh and Adam. Uh, Josh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about what Kobiton is. Sure, yeah. My name is Josh Lieberman. I'm uh, the president and one of the founders of a company called KMS Technology. We're a 700-person consulting firm. And uh, as part of our consulting firm, we use that as a platform to identify market needs with our clients and then spin out software product companies. Uh, Kobiton is one of those companies, and it's a complete mobile device cloud platform that enables uh, developers, SMBs, and enterprises to really optimize their mobile testing and giving them access to and management of both devices they own internally as well as a, uh, a mobile device cloud platform that we have as well. Uh, one of the keys for everybody in the audience here is we focused on making Kobiton affordable such that you know whether you're an indie developer building an app or a large Fortune 500 company, you can optimize the use of any devices that you own internally and at the same time where you need to flex and try out different devices outside of those that you own, have access to our lab as well. Awesome. And then uh, we also have Adam. Adam, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, guys. My name is Adam Satterfield. I'm currently the VP of testing at KMS Technology. I'm also a testing evangelist and consultant for Cobaton. Um, I've been in the, the tech world since about the late 90s. I got a chance to get cut my teeth on a lot of the Y2K testing that went around that time. Oh, nice. Uh, so def- definitely seen a lot come and go. Uh, remember some of my earlier testing, testing on old HP UX systems. I'm sure a lot of the folks listening to this uh, probably wouldn't even know what that is. Uh, so <laughs> can, can definitely say that I've seen a lot come and go. i uh, really passionate about both development and testing. And really excited to you know talk about mobile testing, about Kobaton, and and uh, mobile development as well. So thank you guys. Very cool. I remember that. I remember uh, there's something wild, right? Like even the uh, when the when the ball was going to fall at Times Square to usher in the year 2000, that all of a sudden you know all the lights would go out or something crazy. All of these exactly. uh, conspiracy theories, <laughs> and none of them came true because of you. <laughs> That's right. We, we worked very hard day and night to make sure that all of your biases would be updated for yeah. Y2K. Nice. Um, cool. So, so you know, there's a lot of people listening uh, who have a background in kind of web. Um, you know, they've built websites. Uh, even, you know, entry level, um, one of the first things you do is kind of make an HTML site and do some PHP or something like that. Um, and so you have have a kind of an idea of that development flow, um, where you're kind of testing uh, on web and you can test the JavaScript on your own browser and things like that. But with mobile, it's, it's kind of different because you have this other device and you have sort of your host machine, you have this other device you're testing on. So how is it kind of different than doing development on the web? Sure. Yeah. So one of the things I always like to talk about first is scope. Uh, you know, when you think about web development and web testing, there's really only about three, uh, don't tell the Linux folks that I'm, I'm looping all the Linux into one OS, <laughs> but really only about three operating systems and about four major browsers, depending on who you ask. You know, and even looking at that, you see, you know, Chrome holds a pretty heavy share in terms of uh, what folks are using in the market. And you get a pretty big drop-off point to where usage drops off for users, what they're using for browsers. So. You, you understand when you're going into the, the web space, 
you know, what your scope really is. It's, you know, limited browsers, it's limited operating systems. And frankly, you know, we've been doing PC and desktop development uh, and browser development and testing for a really long time. So we've got really good tools. We have really good development environments. You know, we, we've got good processes around rapid deployments for those. When you start looking at mobile, however, uh, it really starts to change things because now let's take a look at we've got to do some of the same type of testing on the web, but we've got to talk about devices. So last time we checked, about 99% of all smartphones uh, in the world either run Android or iOS. Mm -hmm. uh, so that may sound great. I've only got two devices or two you know, platforms that I really need to test on. But when you start looking into it, things get a lot bigger. Only about 70 to 76% of users ac are actually using the latest iOS version. So if you build only for that version, you may be cutting out a large portion of your users. Uh, on uh, Android, yeah, so you know, it's, when you think about it, it's like, okay, so that's about 30% of users that I may not be addressing by just testing or, or developing for the latest iPhone. Right, and you can't just cut them out because then, you know, if one of those users happens to be, you know, a writer for the New York Times or something, then, then you get completely <laughs> yeah. hammered and your product gets just thrown in the gutter or something. Yeah, exactly. And, and you think about, you know, you've got uh, the, even the, looking at different, you know, usage groups or age groups. If you're trying to develop an app, say you want to develop a, a game, well, then there's a probably a pretty good likelihood if you're developing a game for the millennials, they've got the latest and greatest. So maybe that's all you really care about is that 76%. But if you're developing a financial app where perhaps you've got a wider age group, then you have to pay attention to the, that larger, you know, um, that larger uh, OS uh, distribution because if you don't, you're going to be cutting out that, that older age group who may not understand the upgrading or they may not be quite as tech savvy but they're going to be a large user of your application. Uh, and one of the yeah, and one of the things that we've seen especially for Android, Android it makes everything much more complicated. I think last count there was well over 500 different Android devices at any given time being sold by Verizon, Oppo, uh, you know, the AT&T. And what we found is that only about the largest uh, app, the largest Android platform right now only has about 30% of the overall total users on that platform. And that's uh, Nougat, I believe. Okay. Uh, and the next one itself is only 23%. So you're talking about needing to develop an app that supports maybe up to five different Android versions. And you start getting really complex there. Yeah, and I think with Android too, you also have hardware diversity. Um, like the, I think the hardware companies fork the OS, something like that. Because basically I bought a tablet and I thought that I could, as an Android tablet, I thought that I could just replace the OS, but it turns out they, I guess they forked the OS to make it support their type of touchscreen or something. But, but, but basically the, their version of the OS wasn't the vanilla version. And if you just replace it with the Android that you could get for free, you know, the touchscreen wouldn't work. Exactly right. Yeah, and Samsung's pretty notorious for doing this. Um, and even you add on, you start adding on carrier distributions and carrier differences as well, where they want you to upgrade at different times. So you've got, you know, folks who have the same phone, but it, it works differently on AT and T than it does on Verizon. Oh, geez. So yeah, yeah. So that's it's it, when you start thinking about Android, it really just it boggles the mind at the, the vast array of different types of devices that you can test on. And it's, it's uh, not and, like web, with web, you know, you could have 
a sandbox with 10 different versions of Chrome running at the same time. But here you're talking about literally different OSs. Um, so you need kind of different devices or some way to, to, to represent that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and I know Josh has got some good information for us on you know some of the, the features and functionality of, of COVID time for that. So Josh, do you want to touch on that now? Yeah, sure. The you know fundamentally, what what Cobiton allows you to do is sit at your computer and go through our our uh, platform and control any device plugged into the Cobiton network anywhere in the world. So a lot of people, um, as as Adam talked to, need access to different types of devices to make sure that their app or their responsive website uh, works on different types of apps. So. Not only do we have a lab set up in Santa Clara, California that can be accessed anywhere in the world. It currently has uh, approximately 200 devices there, and it's growing every day. Uh, but you can also uh, plug in, let's say you're, you know, you're part of a company like Lockheed Martin, for example, and you've got people working all over the world. You could plug in all those devices globally and have, have people sitting anywhere as long as they're connected to your uh, to your Cobiton platform, access those devices and test upon them as if they were holding them and, and, and use all the features that are available within a phone, uh, but doing that virtually, or not virtually because it's not a virtual machine, it's an actual device, but doing it through your computer. Gotcha, like doing it remotely. So what? how do yes. you keep... Uh someone from just bricking the phone or if they do then then i guess i guess the phone physically exists somewhere and so the a person will go out and 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 flash it or what have you yeah let me let me actually answer that initially adam and you can you can jump in if you want sure. that's been one of our biggest surprises and one of our biggest challenges quite honestly is the number of hackers out there who for whatever reason uh, are interested in you know coming into our network in trying to destroy our phones. So we have lost a, a handful of them oh, over wow. the process. Yeah, yeah, but we've but fortunately, you know, we've got um, you know, we've got really strong uh, developers on our side and as those as those vulnerabilities are identified within our our uh, platform, we've you know, we've been able to clean those up. So we haven't had any issues in uh, quite some time, but early on while we were in the early stages of beta, uh, uh, that was a challenge. I feel as if um, that's just incredibly rewarding experience that you have. I mean, this is a little bit off topic, but but the fact that you've hardened your system to protect against that just sounds immensely valuable, especially today when you're hearing about all of these like crazy zero day exploits and things like that. Yeah, it's it's I mean, it's not only rewarding, but it's also necessary. You know, early on, we were uh, we were a bit concerned. Uh, that how uh, um, how big of an issue was this going to be? But we're we're very confident we have it under control now, and um, uh, you know know that uh, we know what we're doing and and um, and, and uh, can secure the devices of both ours and our clients as well. Gotcha. So so how do they um, like? Can two people share? So so if I have a set of tests and I want to run it on a bunch of devices. Um, like, how do you sort of streamline that so that I'm not having to go and 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 treat each device as if it's you know plugged into my computer and do a lot of manual labor? Yeah, Adam, why don't you answer that? 
Sure, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, if you're talking on the, the manual side, you essentially, when you go into Cobaton, you have the ability to reserve a device and, and set a device, or you can even schedule that, that you want access to a device at XYZ time, and then you get access. Uh, so definitely on the manual side, it, it is more of a, a one you know time. I'm, I'm using a device at one given time. Um, unless you had on-prem type devices, and then you could have multiple uh, instances of Cobaton up and running and testing through multiple devices. Since it is just you know through the web, uh, you would have the ability to pull up multiple and test through multiple at the same time. Gotcha. Uh, on the automation side, is we're very heavily integrated with Appium functionality. So you have the ability to go into Cobaton and get all of your device-specific information in pretty much your, your language of choice, your flavor, depending on what you're, you're coding in, you know, Java, Ruby, Python, uh, C++, uh, whatever it might be. And we give you the code that you need to put into your, your Appium scripts. So that way it knows what devices to test on. So then you can go, especially if it was devices that you have, all you need to do is put that into your Appium scripts, kick off your tests, and it knows how to connect and talk to the device uh, within Cobaton to get your information and you know to get your screenshots and logs and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we definitely built it with test automation in mind because we knew that that was going to be one of the really big rewarding features um, for this because one of the things that I've seen in, in my years of testing, and I've got a good example of this, is we were I used to work for a really large marketing company here in Atlanta, and we were in the process of testing an app that the CEO of the company wanted to roll out, uh, essentially a Christmas app that was just going to thank all of our customers for you know being good customers and all this kind of fun stuff. And uh, I was doing the, the testing on the app, and what we found was is when we loaded the app and we were using one of the, the more popular virtualization software, is none of the images would load in the app. And having to go and then face the CEO and say, hey, by the way, this app that you really wanted on Christmas is Christmas Eve right now, and it's completely not working. Oh, jeez. Sorry. So went and had that conversation. It was very painful. Then, you know, with the developer and I, and then the developer was like, hey, I wonder, and pulled it up on his device, and it was working on his physical device. And what we found was there was actually a bug that was ongoing in the virtualized software that was causing images to not load. Oh, so in the and simulator itself. Exactly right, because when you think about, you know, what are simulators, it's essentially, you know, software that helps you test your software. So when you think about it is you're, you're relying on someone to test your test suite or, you know, test your test software. And when you've got that, you, you've got that larger potential for errors. And I've seen this several times throughout my career is where the virtualized software will cause artificial errors. So anytime you have the ability to test on that physical device, uh, it greatly increases the, you know, the proper feedback you're going to get for what your users are going to see. Gotcha. That makes sense. So, so over the years, have people kind of moved more towards testing on, on hardware devices and kind of abandoned? I know uh, a while, I, I built an app a long time ago, um, and the, at the time, the Android emulator was just so slow. It was just completely unusable. It was almost just a joke. Um, I guess it was for mainly for people testing hardware or something. And so, uh, you know, what is kind of the state of the whole emulator simulator scene now? Like, is it, is it, is it usable at all? Is it starting to eclipse testing on real hardware? Is it like kind of where, where is that? You know, I think from what I've seen and when talking with a few mobile companies is definitely in the market. Virtualization is not going to 
ever surpass, in my opinion, testing on a true physical device. Mm -hmm. Until the virtualized software gets to a point that it, it actually truly runs everything that a physical device can do, everything from you know simulating signal strength and you know movement of the phone and all these various other functions that a physical device can truly do, uh, you're always going to be relegated to having to need a physical device. And plus, I, I think there's some sort of innate comfort level of, I've tested this on a real device and not some sort of virtualization or you know, headless browser or, or whatever it might be. You know, I have actually seen my app that I built running on a real device that is located somewhere. Uh, there's just a certain comfort level with that. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, I mean, the the uh, you're never going to have a simulator that matches any one device perfectly because no one has time for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like there's <laughs> exactly. probably one simulator for all of iOS or maybe, you know, a handful, but there's not one for every combination of hardware and, and OS. Sure. Um, but in your yeah. case, you could actually you could actually do that. Yeah, we definitely could do it. And, you know, I would say that the one area where I think that when you look at virtualization is probably with testing responsive websites. So that's something that automation does, you know, does very well. You look at something like the Golan framework. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, that test automation framework. But uh, no. when you uh, so if, if we have any listeners out there that are struggling to test or validate responsive websites, definitely take a look at the Golan framework is G-A-L-E-N. Uh, and it's it's a test automation framework specifically built to test uh, responsive uh, websites. Oh, cool! Yeah, it, it's it's really cool. You know, it's fun that, that someone actually went out there and built that, and you know, is now you know giving it out to the community. So, um, you know, where I think the the testing for responsive uh, websites can you know it, the virtualized servers can definitely help with that. But when you're looking at apps, especially the all the various variety of different types of apps. Uh, you're going to want a physical device. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what about you know, uh, you know, iOS is is you know, a totally closed platform uh, versus on web. You know, every major browser is open source, like Chrome, Firefox. I guess Internet Explorer isn't open source now. That I think about it, but but they're not sort of the lion's share of the market anymore. Um, but is that a challenge that that sort of the major player, at least in the U.S., is is uh, closed source? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and this is one thing that we like to tell you know our developers is you know if if you want to build an iOS app, you better pony up the money to get a Mac because trying to do it on a Windows box or trying to do it through some other way uh, is just going. You're just going to be beating your head against the wall. And and luckily, Apple does try to make it very easy. So that they provide uh, some software called Xcode, which allows you to you know get your device's ID and you can set your device and put it in develop, developer mode. So, um, and that's one of the, the cool things when you, when you uh, plug an iPhone up to your laptop, you run Xcode and it, get, it enables options on your phone that you normally don't have, ah, which, okay. is, which is a, a neat feature. Yeah, so, and you don't, you don't get that outside of a Mac or unless you're using our, our software like Kobaton where we simulate that or where we actually run that for you. Um, and we all they uh, they also provide a test flight. Are you familiar with the the test flight app? Um, I I bet most of the users aren't familiar with it. So uh, you'd be the best person to give a description. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. So uh, test flight on iOS. It is a great way to get a test version of your app into multiple multiple users' hands. So uh, test flight essentially is when you sign up to be an Apple developer, you're given access to the test flight app. And essentially, you send an email out to a group of users that say that you want to do you want to do your user testing for you. 
and they all install TestFlight on their their iPhones, and then you can send them another email with the, the link to the app, and then TestFlight will will read that and install the app for them. So essentially, it's a way to bypass a lot of the the harshness and the rigors of the uh, iTunes or, or the the Apple marketplace, uh, which has very very rigorous standards and. Uh, when it comes to bug fixing, they, it can definitely slow things down for you. Gotcha. Uh, so it's a way to, to bypass that to get your app in the hands of your users to get some real testing. Okay, cool. That makes sense. So, <clears throat> so let's say you use use Copiton and and you've you've done a whole bunch of uh, system testing and things like that, um, and you ship the app. Um, what sort of the common ways that people use to measure if you know, there maybe there's some edge case or some device configuration that 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 of yours that they didn't test. Um, how can people be sure that the app is is really working once it's out there in the wild? So, from the developer side or from the tester side? Um, from the developer side. So, there's a couple of things that you can take a look at from the developer side, um, and this is you. I think very back to one of your earlier questions of what's the big difference between you know web web testing and development and mobile testing and development. Well, because of the difficulties of getting your app through the marketplace and validated in the marketplace for both iOS and Android, you have to be rock solid that the app that you're putting out there is relatively bug and defect free. And the reason for this is you only get one chance to make a really good impression. I think the last study I saw said that only 60% of users would re-download an app after seeing a critical issue. Oh wow! And that that's a steep drop. A very and then if it came to the third time, I think it was only like twelve percent. So that is a huge drop off. So the the big change that you know even having to take a step back before you release it to say, okay, I I truly know how my te- how my users are going to use this app. I need to know what they are. You know, I need to know what devices they're using. I need to know how they're going to use it. Uh, so you're going to have to have a, a very rigorous uh, test plan and test strategy before you even go to the marketplace. Because once you get there and once you release your app, there's really only a couple ways to get feedback. Uh, first is you can sign up for crash reports through both iOS and Android and when you join their developer networks. And you can see if there's a hard crash in your app. Now, that's both good and bad if you're getting a lot of those and obviously you have a lot of unhappy customers. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, you won't uh, have them for long, right? You're only going to have 12% <laughs> of them in a, in a couple of days. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, one of the things we also like to say is reviews are forever, especially on the internet. That's true. And podcast reviews, too. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Is it the same for podcasts as well? <laughs> yep, definitely. Yeah, so I'm sure you guys know. I mean, if you have a really terrible podcast and it tanks your reviews, even if you've got 20 great ones after that, if someone comes to look and they see that you've only got two stars or three stars, they're probably going to bypass you. So, and it's the same with the app as well as, you know, if you release a, a, a version that has bad feedback, probably the first place you're going you're gonna to hear about it is through the reviews itself. You're not necessarily, unless you're running a hybrid app, and, and we can touch on that here in, in a little bit, you're not really going to get that feedback because your app is, is locked within that, um, that, that native uh, phone that native os so it's hard to get a lot of feedback unless you've done a lot of you know communication with with back to the server and then that's like i was saying before a little bit more of a a hybrid app design yeah and the other thing is the reviews follow you around as well like uh like your account is tied to 
some type of credit card or personally identifiable information. So you can't just make a new account very easily. And you can make a new app, but your app is going to be tied to your other apps. And so, yeah, I mean, there's really no going back. If you, if you make a huge blunder, um, it's very hard to correct for that. That is a great point. Cool. So, um, so I guess it sounds like we covered a lot of this, but you know, it sounds like the way to make sure that apps work the same on everyone's device, or at least we can't do that, but, but on 99% of your market uh, users' devices <clears throat> is to uh, get some idea of your market um, and do a bit of market research to try and intuit what sort of devices you should be expecting. And then to make sure that you've tested on at least one of all of those devices. And for, for many of us, we don't have, you know, a rack full of Android phones. So, so that's where sort of, I think, Cobatron, Cobaton kind of, kind of comes in, right? Josh, you want to yeah. take that one? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, uh, that's dead on for, you know, if you do have devices and you want to share them, uh, Cobaton can help you with that. But moreover, uh, for those who can't afford to own their own devices and need, a laundry list of uh, devices that they can get access to in a very affordable way. Uh, that's that's exactly what Kobiton's there for. Uh, one quick kind of interjection. What about like different uh, geographies? So in other words, I know you said different carriers um, uh, can make some phones act differently. Um, what about, for example, um, you know, if someone's in uh, a place where they only have 2G uh, sell, for example, they're going to have a very different experience. Like, do you have a way to sort of, um, you know, put, put devices in these sort of synthetic environments where you have really poor internet or you have, I don't know, whatever other kind of geological infrastructure issues? Yeah, Adam, why don't you answer that? Sure. Yeah. So there's some neat things you can do uh, with some of your test frameworks to, to simulate some of that. And in fact, I was watching one of the latest uh, Appium uh, presentations uh, a little while back, and they were saying that they had some abilities to where you could simulate. You could take a phone and, and downgrade it uh, from you know 4G to 3G, 2G, and, and you know mess around with some of the settings there. Um, one of the the cool things I think a lot of folks don't realize is that both Android and iPhones can be set in a developer mode. Uh, the the Android one is probably my my favorite is where you actually go to your settings. And you pull up the build name, and you tap on the build name seven times, almost as if you're going to enter enter the contra code or something. Yeah, I know. This looks like uh, <laughs> like how you get on the train at Harry Potter or something. <laughs> exactly right. You have to stand on your head. And uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but, for, but for real, if you tap on it seven times, you'll get a notification on your phone that says, "Hey, you're you're trying you're trying to enable developer options. Are you sure you want to do this?" And when uh, you do, it gives you some pretty awesome options. You know, some of those you can really tweak with the phone. Um, you know, hint, hint, you know, jailbreak and root your phones. I don't nice. recommend trying that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, one of the, there's cool things you can do where you can really, you know, mess with a lot of the phone settings that you don't normally have access to. Um, you know, one of those as well is, uh, is pretty cool. Is, uh, you actually, once you do that, you can then enable USB debugging on your Android phone and then plug your Android phone into your laptop, and through just a basic terminal, you can really, really hack into your phone and do a lot of awesome things on that. Yeah, so, I actually, uh, I had to do this, uh, but I was, I was completely blind following directions. I bought a tablet. This is the same tablet. Um, I bought it from uh, um, AliExpress, which is this website <laughs> where you can get things kind of drop-shipped yep. from China. <laughs> and uh, it came with a bunch of Chinese spyware, 
Um, this true story. I mean, it it, it came pre-installed <laughs> with with uh, uh, add-ups and a couple other Chinese spyware, and so uh, yeah, I had to do all of these things to uh, to sort of clean it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's true. You feel like you're some kind of crazy wizard. I mean, Google's like sending you little little uh, you know prompts at the bottom, like almost there. Keep tapping the button. <laughs> That's yeah. It's 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 a it's a real weird thing. So you know, and one of the things we do from the Kobaton is you know when you're when you're testing on the device, you get full access to to use that device and the features. So you know, if you've got a specific requirement, you know, where you need to install something, for instance, that will help spoof uh, where your maps location is, where which I've seen some folks do. Um, you know, you have the ability to install whatever APKs you need to install, or you know, we, we support the multi-touch gestures and, you know, the rapid touch and, and some pretty cool things. So, um, you know, we, we definitely, you know, like I said before, is where we built that with a lot of the, the test automation in mind, uh, you know, support a, a lot of those types of features. So, um, you know, some of it is, you know, especially for a lot of the, the newer listeners who are get, just getting into this is, you know, definitely take the time and research a lot about the mobile device that you're testing and developing on. It's not like the PC, you know, where things are relatively locked down, especially if you're on Windows and Mac, um, where you really just have access to a browser and maybe you can install, you know, Firebug or something to see the, you know, request and response coming back. Um, mobile is a lot richer. And, and I think that may be even why some folks are, you know, drawn to develop and test on it because you, you can do some pretty awesome things on, you know, mobile and IoT devices that you're, you just really don't have the capability to do on desktop. Yeah, it's true. And even on the design side, you know, like you can kind of cheat on web. You know, almost everyone has fixed column websites where, where the website is, you know, 800 pixels wide and then you just get margins. And because of that, they can design a very specific experience or maybe more than 800 pixels. Maybe let's say a thousand pixels. They can design a very specific experience. But for mobile, you don't really have that luxury because the form factor is very different. And so you also need to make sure that, you know, the buttons don't run off the edge of the screen or something, something wonky like that, <laughs> or maybe it just doesn't, doesn't look good. It looks too crowded. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, one of the things that I always like to hear folks say is, okay, you know, we've got this mobile device and let's just test on various screen sizes. And, and we always ask, <laughs> like to ask the questions, are we talking screen size or are we talking pixel density? Or are we talking, you know, uh, orientation or, or resolution? Because all that now matters, whereas before it didn't, because you can have an app and it shows great on this level of pixel density, but then you go to one of these super hot Samsung phones that, you know, hot, no pun intended, um, (laughs) (laughs) that, uh, you know, have this awesome pixel density and suddenly your app is three-fourths the size on this nice Samsung phone that it was on, uh, you know, this other older phone. So there's a lot more, you're right, to, to take into consideration when you do your development. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. So, so kind of who created Kobaton? What's sort of the inspiration for the company? I know you said you it started as kind of an offshoot. Um, so, kind of talk about uh, you know your experience that, that that inspired you to want to sort of make another uh, represent this as a whole another company as a whole separate effort. Yeah. So. Um... Yeah, as I mentioned, I'm I'm one of the founders of KMS Technology, and we work with I think it's around 30 different software product companies now, where they ask us to help them build out and support their their software, which often includes mobile. And one consistent problem that we uh, 
you know, kept experiencing with these customers was how to have access to the right types and the right number of mobile devices. And um, as, as we talked with our, our customer base, what we consistently heard is that there are products out there, there are platforms out there that make many different types of mobile devices available, but they're prohibitively expensive and they just couldn't afford to buy the software. And on the flip side, they'd say, we've tried emulators, but emulators aren't really the real thing. So what they end up doing is, you know, some of our, our customers literally have 100 devices sitting in Ziploc baggies with their chargers in a drawer with a piece of paper, you know, and next with people checking in and checking out devices. And you, you never know what's, what devices are charged, what operating system they're running, whether they've been swiped clean or not, um, who's really checked them out. Sometimes they walk off mysteriously. Uh, and um, so that was just inspiration for us to go solve that problem for our customers. And uh, it's, you know, it's been embraced by all of them. So we're very, we're very excited to see their enthusiasm level. And, um, and as we've done market research throughout the way and done a lot of product market fit, we've also realized that there's a great need in the indie development uh, world as well with people building apps and, you know, building responsive websites and such. So whether it be for, you know, for an indie developer or for, you know, a Fortune 500 company, we think there's need across all those markets. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think um, there, people have tried to do kind of this kind of idea. Like there was, um, there was a company, uh, I think it was on stage. I think there's a company where they would have an Xbox sitting out, you know, in the desert somewhere. And you would just be able to play Xbox games from any kind of thin client. And so th- th- this idea of sort of moving the hardware, like locating the hard, co-locating a bunch of people's hardware in one place, you know, it's that idea has shown kind of promise to different degrees and different verticals. But yeah, I don't think I've seen yet a company like yours, which, 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 um, is kind of focused on testing and focused on having just banks of real hardware that people can kind of, you know, withdraw for certain periods of time. Yeah, no, no, there's, um, there's uh, proven models in, um, in other, uh, in other areas out there where you can leverage, whether it be crowdsourced hardware or, you know, hardware on demand. I mean, heck, look at Amazon, uh, with the business that uh, they've built with their server farms. And yep. this is just another flavor of uh, what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. I think focusing on testing is is really um, is really interesting because that's where you need just a little bit of time on many, many devices as opposed to something else where you might need just a lot of time on one device where it would make more sense to just buy one. But in this case, you're not going to buy 100 devices if you're only going to use each one for you know, let's say five minutes a day. Right. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things, Jason, that, that we've seen, you know, at least in my career, is I used to run uh, a team. We had about 40 or so testers. And I would say about 30% of their time when it came to the mobile testing was spent either tracking the phone down uh, or what you find is in that full QA process, when you go through and you're testing on the app uh, with this phone is, okay, great, I found a bug. Now what? Okay, I'm going to grab my other personal phone that has my corporate email, take a picture of the, the defect on the phone, <laughs> email it to myself, and then log it in the bug tracking software. 
So you've got this massive overhead, right, when it comes to mobile testing that you don't have with web testing. But if you can take those mobile devices and show them in a browser that helps you take the screenshots, that gives you all the logs that you need, that, that shows you the steps that you perform to get that actual bug, it cuts a lot of that overhead down. So not only is it easier to find the device, but your testing overall is a lot more simplified, and you can actually have your testers focus on testing, which I think is the ultimate goal of any organization, is to cut down the paperwork and the overhead and to truly focus on the testing and getting the, that rapid feedback back to the developers. Um, yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, very cool. So, so uh, we asked this of everybody. Um, what's what's the best part about working at Cobaton, and uh, are you guys hiring? <laughs> so I'll go first. Um, yeah, I think the best part about working at Cobaton is we are uh, tackling a very big problem in a massive space. And um, you know, while there are some companies out there who who have attempted to solve this problem it's such a big space they haven't hardly touched it and uh you know what's also nice is that we have the backing of a very stable and large company in kms so you kind of get the best of both worlds in that you're with this very entrepreneurial startup um you know doing some very innovative uh and uh fun things but we also have the backdrop of having a you know very financially stable business in KMS that's funding it and supporting it and has a lab of 30 customers that we're able to work with on a day-to-day -day basis and get their feedback and, um, and uh, insights as well. Uh, in terms of hiring, um, interestingly enough, we're looking for a CEO. We, um, our business yeah. model in spinning these, these uh, startups out is KMS is very good at building software. We know how to build commercial-grade, bulletproof, uh, world-class software. What we've realized we're not quite as good at is building out the sales and marketing machine behind a software product company. So what we've done in the past with other companies like Cobiton uh, that we've been fortunate to be successful with is we'll build out uh, the uh, platform and the technology. We'll uh, you know, ensure we have early adopters on board will get a core customer base on board and then go out and look for a CEO to help us run the company, ultimately raise money from, from some uh, strategic investors, whether they be angels, VCs, strategics, whatever the case may be, and then grow the company from there. Once we have that CEO in place, then we'll, uh, we'll build out more on the sales and marketing side initially and then supplement the engineering in addition to what we have today. Gotcha. How do you, I'm just curious, how do you find a CEO? I mean, usually when we ask this question, the answer we get is, yeah, if you're straight out of college, you know, come check it out. But in this case, I mean, that that's like a really cool and very different answer. And I just, it just totally piques my fascination. Like, like is there, is there like a CEO registry? <laughs> like you find people <laughs> who, uh, who said, yes, I'm ready to be CEO. Like, like how does that even work? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And what I will tell you is we, we actually do have some of those kids out of college already working with us. So we've gone after and gotten just some great raw talent to help us grow the business. But ultimately, you know, you think about uh, the best uh, technology companies or best companies in the world, and, and it requires somebody um, who knows what the heck they're doing. Um, so 
with our first company, the company was called QA Symphony. We um, we attempted to find somebody on our own and ultimately were unsuccessful and ended up hiring a, a, a recruiting firm to help us find somebody. Uh, this time around, because of the success of, of uh, QA Symphony and the personal brand that I've been fortunate enough to build and the brand that KMS has built uh, uh, because we're behind QA Symphony and because of just the... Uh, uh, incessive networking that I've been doing over the past eight years, I've built out a broad network of people that I can tap into who are, uh, you know, whether they be other business leaders or uh, friends or um, investors in Atlanta or throughout the U.S. that I'm, uh, you know, w- what we do is we uh, begin messaging to people well before we're looking for the CEO and start getting on their radar. And then on a monthly basis, we'll share information about our progress and, and where we're headed and you know, begin letting people know that we're looking for somebody to come in and help run the business. And through that process, they see the traction we're getting, the success we're having, and they become more educated, more aware of the business such that if they have a friend or a colleague, they're like, wow, these guys are doing it again like they did with QA Symphony. This is a hot company. Let me, you know, let me get somebody connected with them um, to help them out because they've been good to me and, and they're good guys. Uh, and it'll be good for that potential CEO as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Actually, it's, a, it's an excellent point. I think one thing that um, maybe we don't talk about enough on the show is the idea of, of really trying to get out and network um, even, for example, um, if you're really into, uh, let's say you've really dove into the Linux kernel and, and you're, you're a college student and uh, you found some issue or you want to support, you know, your dot matrix printer from your childhood because you think that'd be super fun and you have that plugged in and you're trying to make that work. Um, along the way, just talk to a lot of people, you know, post on the Debian mailing list or the kernel mailing list and just always, no matter what you're doing, try to find sort of, you know, ideally an audience of people who are interested, but but also just a set of peers. And uh, it's good for sort of building your, your you know, momentum and, and keeping it fun and exciting. And also, as as uh, as we just talked about it it could end up becoming those professional relationships years down the road that are really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't, um, I'll let Adam talk to it from a more technical perspective, but, um, I can't stress enough, uh, how, how important that is. Um, you know, in life, as you build out your career, um, building goodwill with people, doing the right thing, building out a network, you know, reconnecting people with other people, always looking out for as you build out your network and you're in dialogue with friends, colleagues, people you may never have met and understanding what their needs are and how you can help and making that extra effort to help them. When you need help someday, they're going to help you out. And you don't do it because, uh, because you know that you're going to be asking for something in the future. You purely do it because it's the right thing to do. And, you know, I firmly believe in, in uh, karma, and uh, what goes around comes around. So, uh, you know, as we go out and we try to build out not just a CEO, but an entire management team, which will include 
you know, people like those listening in your audience, a lot of technical folks as well. Um, you know, we're going to save a lot of time, money, and headache by finding people through our network because people know us, trust us, know that we're good guys versus going out and just randomly getting resumes off the street. Um, you just eliminate a lot of risk, a lot of headache, and a lot of cost. Um, it allows you to scale your business more, more quickly. And oh, by the way, when you go to bed at night, you feel better about yourself too. <laughs> so true. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, and I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, so, you know, Josh brings up a great point. And in fact, this is, you know, for, for those of the listening, this is how Appium actually came to be, is there was just a, a guy who was doing some test automation and found there was a weakness in mobile uh, app testing and went and uh, forked off of Selenium and started working on some of his own work and uh, started talking about it to a few folks. And it's so slowly but surely it started gaining a lot of traction. And now it is the most widely used mobile app test automation framework in the world. And so it started as a small idea that a guy decided to share out. So, you know, one of the things that he likes to talk about, and, and it's so true, is if you have ideas, especially in the development, because most likely there's someone who's having that same problem that needs, you know, your support and your thoughts and you can put your heads together and probably come up with a really, really good solution. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I feel like I bring this up way too often, but uh, I always am really interested in these like economic uh, thought experiments. And the one I like the most is the prisoner's dilemma. And, uh, you know, if you study this, you find that the prisoner's dilemma is basically there are two people. And if they work together, they each get a decent, you know, reward. They each get a decent, let's say, paycheck. If one person takes advantage of the other, that person gets a huge reward. But if they both try and take advantage of each other at the same time, no one gets anything. And uh, if you just do one round of this, you know, mathematicians and economists have kind of proven that you should be selfish. Like if you only have one shot at this, then you should, you should just try and take advantage of the other person. And mathematically, that's going to work out the best. Um, but if you... If you uh, have this repeated, they call it the iterated prisoner's dilemma, where you're just always finding yourself in this position where, you know, helping someone else will, will cause you to not do as well, but still pretty, pretty good. Um, but you're kind of depending on each other. Um, if you kind of keep doing this, then what your strategy should be is to look at what the other person is doing. And if that person is helping then you should help that person. And if that person has a reputation for not helping, then you shouldn't help that person. And so even like, you know, uh, uh, I, I also believe that there's sort of a bit of karmic justice in the world, but even that aside, you know, there's, you should always be kind of an interest of, of kind of reaching out and connecting with people and building kind of uh, something greater because uh, that gets kind of your kind of reputation going and it can kind of, um, cause other people around you to sacrifice themselves for you when, when you really need something. Couldn't agree more. Cool. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. It was super interesting. Um, one of these days, I really want to uh, take another crack at, at making apps. And uh, <laughs> uh, this is uh, these kind of resources are extremely useful. Um, uh, I know the app that I made a long time ago, there's no way it works today. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it wasn't built in a very robust way. And so I'm going to have some redemption next time, thanks to uh, Kobaton and these other technologies. 
Nice. We'll leave you some good reviews on it, though. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, I appreciate it. I need, I need salvation from the last app, so... <laughs> Cool. Well, All thank right. you uh, um, um, for uh, coming on the show. And uh, thank you guys. Uh, actually, do you have so you have Cobaton, and uh, I guess it's Cobaton.com is the website. And yes. if people want to reach out to you, there's like a like a mail to uh, in the website or something like that. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Cool. So uh, we'll put a link in the show notes, and uh, if you have any questions about how to test your app. Um, you can go to that link and there'll be tons of information. There'll be a way to contact, um, Adam and Josh and, uh, and all of that. All right. Thanks guys. Cool. Thanks guys. All right. Thanks everyone. The intro music is AXO by Binar Pilot. Programming Throwdown is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 2.0 license. You're free to share, copy, distribute, transmit the work, to remix, adapt the work, but you must provide uh, attribution uh, to uh, Patrick and I and uh, share alike in kind.